Good morning, church. Even since I recorded the message for this weekend, uh, we can see that our nation is hurting. So we're going to have a conversation about racism this morning. I'm going I'm to talk about a time in my life where I can somewhat understand being looked down on. And, and even that, it, it pales into comparison. What uh, black men and women in our country have had to walk through with racism. We're a people that want to stand for righteousness. We want to stand for justice. And we want to stand with black men and women to fight for their freedom and their justice in this country. So let's lean in. Let's have the right heart, the right perspective as we navigate this conversation together. That hopefully in all of this, that we can all unify around uh, fighting for and, and standing with black men and women that have have had to walk through this evil of racism. So let's let's have the conversation today. Well, good morning and good to be in a conversation with you this morning. Thanks for tuning in for everybody that um, is jumping on today. Uh, hi, hello, welcome to the Pearl Street Movement. I'm Pastor Brent. If you've never got to hear me, know my heart, anything like that, um, it's who I am and uh, uh, been leading the movement here for six years, started it with nothing. And here today we are a movement uh, of love and strength and encouragement for all people. Maybe you don't know my story. Uh, I am a man and I don't know if you, maybe you are an individual like myself where you've been in some situations where um, maybe you've been looked down on. Maybe Maybe for you, you've been in a place where uh, there was something about you that uh, ostracized you from society or maybe uh, particular groups of people. You know, for me, growing up, I, in like first grade, I think it was, and starting to learn how to read. And at some moment in time on this journey of life, um, they, they picked up on, I guess I was having a learning problem and I, it was revealed I had a learning disability, I had to take tests and through the test they, they made a statement towards me. These adults looked down on me and said, hey, you're dyslexic. I remember a parent conference with my, uh, my teacher and my parent and them saying, your son is dyslexic and I, I, don't, know, I don't know what dyslexic is, but apparently I had a... Uh, um, a reading disorder of some sort. And uh, in that process, I was struggling to learn and, and grow and develop as a young man. And, and really in that moment, it wasn't necessarily a big deal when I was younger, um, but it was whenever awareness on what that meant uh, happened when I was later, uh, later in an education of eighth grade. I was in eighth grade and you know, for years, things, you know, I switched. We were lived in San Antonio. We moved to Atlanta and then we moved back to San Antonio and that whole transition process. You know, I didn't necessarily always go to um, development programs for reading. So over the years, I just wasn't going. I wasn't part of it. But at some point in time, they felt like it was needed for me to go back to a learning program in eighth grade. And in eighth grade, I remember them coming to my classroom, me sitting in there with all my friends. Um, eighth grade, you're developing, you're growing as a young man, you're trying to, you know, uh, socially uh, work through all the dynamics of being a teenager. Your body's changing, your voice is changing, you are literally physically growing. The social dynamics, there's more awareness, there's more learning. And I remember sitting in this room and being called in the middle of a room, a teacher, a learning disability teacher walks in and says, Brent Cadell, 
And in the middle of all of my friends and my peers, I, I had to stand up and walk out of the room away from my peers under the knowing that I was going to a learning or a reading disability program. And, and all of that weight of like, oh, feeling like less than, and they're going to think differently of me. And oh, and I just remember like it was this cold sense of just like worthlessness that came over me. I'm like, I'm, I'm less than everybody else. And they see me that way. They think that way. That may not have been the way they thought and that, none of that. But I remember in that moment, all that I felt projecting it on them that they felt about me and that feeling of just worthlessness. And I'll tell you, it's one of the worst feelings that I've ever felt in my life, um, a feeling of worthlessness. And really that moment in time of knowing my, you know, my struggle, my, my, uh, maybe my learning disability, if you will, or reading disability, if you will, knowing how that put me in a position where there was a projection on me of something that maybe I was less than. And all of that feeling has really driven me inside of my life towards individuals. If you've heard my story, you've heard me talk about, I'm all about those that are ostracized from society, those that are on the fringes of society. Seeing a young man that was overweight in eighth grade that same year that was made fun of simply because of his weight really challenged me as an individual to say, I want to be a person to go after those that are ostracized in society. I mean, it's the fundamental of my motivation. Maybe you never heard that side of like where it came from, my learning. I don't like talking about that. That's a, it's a very uncomfortable place for me because even to this day, by stating it, it comes with the opportunity for individuals to look differently at me. It's a challenging place. You know, I think maybe all of us have been in places like that inside of our life where maybe there is something about us, maybe it's just simply an appearance deal, right? Maybe uh, it's glasses or braces, or maybe it's your hair or your skin or whatever it is. There's something about you, your, your, uh, your stature, you're just smaller or bigger or whatever than everybody else. And at moments in time in your life, you have felt what I felt where others looked at you differently and you felt the weight of all that peer pressure of maybe, um, or that peer perspective of worthlessness. And it just, ah, the coldness just entered your life, that worthlessness feeling entered into your heart and you just felt like the, the, the warmth of your body was released out of you and you were just in this cold, desolate place. I think we've all had moments like that. You know, maybe if it's as you've grown into adulthood, you know, people have looked at your ability in the job and, and you were not as able as somebody else or you weren't able to perform in a particular task of, of responsibility. And and it's just you just can't do it. It's not of your ability. And, and you've been looked at and you felt that like weirdness and that I'm less than and they see that about me. Oh, it's just Ah, it doesn't feel good. You know, we all have moments like this. And here we are today with a conversation that we are having around the same idea, the same premise of viewing somebody else differently than us. The terminology called racism. That one group of people 
is inferior to another group of people. So therefore, they should be put at a disadvantage and or uh, discriminated against because of their skin color, right? And this conversation that has come up here today has some roots. And from a spiritual conversation, I think, uh, I mean, I want to jump into that to just kind of like, let's look at where in the world could this evil enter into our society, right? A society, a belief uh, and the foundation of our country that all men are created equal, where has our society gone wrong from the premise of our foundation as a country to the actual application and living of our people? Racism. Racism. Inferiority to another group of people. As I said this last week in a statement, racism is pure evil. You cannot get around that. The essence of where racism or uh, the essence of where racism has come from is, is sitting on the foundation of slavery and slavery being believed that has entered into our country in 1619, 401 years ago from colonists that were here that were, um, you know, uh, they were building trade and they were uh, harvesting tobacco and coffee and tea and so on and so forth. All these other things on plantations and in need of cheap labor and with the evil desire on the inside of them of greed chose to keep people subjected to uh, slavery, their inability to have rights and freedom at the, uh, at the expense of their gain, the, a colonist's gain, this individual's gain, these white individuals coming from Europe here that are um, uh, inhabiting the new world. And in that process, not seeing a person's life for the value of what they represent and they're bringing to that individual by their services, right? Harvesting in fields, so on and so forth. A greedy person said, I'm going to remove them of their rights and I'm going to subject them to my will. The original idea was it was only supposed to be for seven years and then they would regain their freedom. But as the trade began to grow, as the industry began to grow and the needs increased, you had all of these slave owners, white slave owners that decided we're not going to give them their rights after seven years. It would cost us too much. We're going to go ahead and just remove all of their rights and we're going to take back what we said originally, a seven-year contract. So in this premise of greed, this evil, sinful thing, greed, that Jesus talks about, the greedy individual, greed on the inside of a, a person's life. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve them both. You will either love one or hate the other, right? It all comes back to greed. The foundation of slavery is greed. And as our society has progressed since the 401 years ago that it's come upon the shores of America, it has progressed into this place where in the Civil War, slavery was abolished. It wasn't until later that the law of the land actually made it illegal the late 1900s made it illegal to be a slave owner. And in that process were all of these white individuals that had plantations of cotton and tobacco, so on and so forth. The South, all of this. In this process of abolishing slavery here in our country, 
greedy individuals got frustrated that now once slaves, inferior people to them, were now on the same playing field. And then you get the James, uh, the Jim Crow laws of segregation. You get evil greed and slavery into greedy, hateful, angry people on what they lost, moving towards an evil premise of perspective towards another individual that led towards racism and the institution of a system to segregate society and put black people at the disadvantage to white people. Racism. This is pure evil. It's pure evil. And this is something as believers that you and I should stand up against. We should not allow the systematic behaviors and the condoning of behaviors of racism to happen across any institution in our land. It is pure evil. This evil comes from a place that Jesus has already uh, mandated for us, right? He's already made it clear on who the individual is that drives this evil. It's already clear. Jesus would say in John 10, 10, a very clear statement. In John 10, 10, the Bible would tell us that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the enemy comes to do. In Peter, in 1 Peter, uh, another part of scripture, Peter would say this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Jesus has made it clear. Peter also echoes it that the enemy is here to devour and undermine the principles of God in every individual that is here in relationship uh, or here on this earth with, uh, you know, with, with the mandate by God, their creator, to live in righteousness, to treat all people equally, to love all people. Jesus would echo uh, the love conversation in Matthew 22, where he would say this in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But this is where he, he institutes this place of love. And he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. The second thing, right? We got to love God and we understand he is the highest form of truth in which we live by. The what he says is what goes. We love him and we honor our lives or we honor him with our lives. The second thing Jesus says is we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And the reality of neighbor is anyone. And when you love yourself, come on, we know how to love ourselves. We, we, we focus on ourselves. And man, we, when we, uh, we do for ourselves, some of us on a weekly basis, we really go hard in the paint doing for ourselves, right? From massages to the hair did to the nails done uh, to whatever, you know, we can go hard in the paint for that. Some people be getting haircuts every single week. Just going to call out one individual inside of our church that has had, to, had a struggle of his lifetime during COVID, but he may be the lead singer and the worship leader of our church. He struggled, but he puts in some work for that, that hair on his head every single week. 
right? We know how to love ourselves. We, we, we know like, oh, when we focus on ourselves, we can, oh. And Jesus says that same care that you would take towards yourself with that same vigor, with that same, uh, with that same heart, look out towards your neighbor and love them just like that, right? No greater love than one uh, for a brother to give up his life for another. There is no greater love than that. Love, right? This is our mandate. This is our premise. This is God's heart for us and Jesus' mandate for us here on this earth. Loving our neighbors with no consequences of color of skin. So the only way that individuals in America that formed the foundation of our country, that all men are created equal to retract this, this oath that they made, the, this, um, the foundation of our, uh, our, our country's documents, the only way that you would compromise that is to get caught up in the process of living out what the foundation, or at least the heart was behind the formation of a country. And where this stepped in for us as white individuals in America was in a place of greed, monetary gain at the expense of another individual. And when we lost it, rather than seeing others as equal, we found ourselves in a rage and hatred and anger of what we lost, that we instituted a system of the Jim Crow laws that created segregation. This is not the heart of our God. This is not the heart of Jesus Christ. This is not our mandate as Christians. We got lost in the, um, in the founding, in the formation of our country, in the growth of our country over the years as individuals that started from the premise of Judeo-Christian principles and values. We as individuals got lost. We got caught up in sin and we became devoured in that sin. We tried to serve two masters and we begin to serve the master, the master of lies. We got caught in greed and it's led us down a dark road. And here we are today with a conversation around that. One of the things, you know, in Romans 12, and I'll read Romans 12, 9 through 21. This is love in action. I think it could be encouragement to us here today. As we realize, and maybe we take ownership here today. Maybe you're a white man here today. It's like, I don't have a racist bone in my body. You can sit here like me. There's not a racist bone in my body. You know, I've had best friends throughout life that have been uh, individuals of color, black men. I mean, I've been friends all throughout, you know, life with people of color. I mean, it's just, it's who I am. It's what I do. I'm all about, I love people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. You hear me say it all the time. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, there are some tendencies about me or there is some perspectives about me that maybe I think less of somebody else. Maybe specifically towards black individuals. We're just focused on racism here today in America towards black people. Maybe you have that on the inside of your life. It's time to introspectively, introspectively look at yourself and say, man, what can I do to deal with the issues in my heart that I would look through a lens of evil, right? Evil towards another individual, racism, 
and try to project and, and uh, ostracize a group of people because of the color of their skin. And this is the time to say, man, maybe, maybe I need to get in alignment. Maybe I need to start looking at the gospel different. Maybe I need to start loving different. Maybe I need to start loving as myself, all people. Maybe I need to put myself in some uncomfortable positions where I'm loving people that are not of the same color of skin as me. Maybe I got to do that. Love and action is spoken right here inside of Romans 8, starting with verse number nine. He says this, Paul would write to the church in Rome. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is love and action. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Moving down, verse number 11. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't just or don't curse them. Pray that peop, uh, pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, right? Don't just think you know it all. Don't just be an egotistic, egotistical maniac that thinks you know it all, that can't bring yourself down to get around ordinary people. And that's not a, a specific um, a specific race that's of anybody never thinking too highly of yourself that it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from what job you have how much money you are making we can hang out with anybody at any moment in time we can get along with anybody we can love on anybody our placement our position our monetary value has nothing to do with our love and how we express it and or who we hang out with we can enjoy the company of ordinary people. We can enjoy the company of millionaires and billionaires, wherever you are coming from, up, down, all around. We can enjoy the company up and down, all around. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take it revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Amen. Amen to that. Let's not take revenge, especially in times like that we are walking in right now. Revenge is of the Lord, right? We're here to peacefully go about the process of protesting the injustice of racism in the institutions that condone it. It is not for us to avenge, but it is for us to highlight, right? So instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will be heap, you will heap burning coals of shame on their eyes. The last part here is key. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good good. So here we are today in 2020. 
65 years after Rosa Parks sat on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, 65 years after Martin Luther King Jr. was leading the Montgomery Improvement Association, we're 65 years beyond the civil rights movement. And here we are, the conversation of racism is here again. And I'll just, I'll just say this, freedom has to be fought for continually. And the freedom of black people, men and women across this country is a conversation that we will have to have continually. Because what has happened throughout history is slavery has created an evil based on greed through that process process. The Jim's Crow, uh, Jim Crow's laws were created for segregation inside of our country that was separating black people from white people that was expressing a disadvantage uh, towards a certain group of people. The civil rights, though, came out and said, we want to fight against the institution of the government that has these policies that are putting us at a disadvantage, that is discriminating against us as black people, right? You can look in the, I have a dream speech by Martin Luther King and the statements in which he was making that they were coming against the government entities that had policies that was discriminating against them and segregating them away from the rest of the population. There was two different standards, two different opportunities. And the great thing is that we can sit here today, uh, years, 65 years after the foundation and the premise of the civil rights starting, right? And I believe it was in 1963 that Martin Luther King gave his speech, I have a dream. Out of this civil rights movement and all of what has happened with um, black men and women for our country, fighting for freedom and justice, the two things, freedom for our people and justice in this country, right? Out of that, there became systematic changes in the government. Policies were changed. Laws were written, you know, just to name a few of them, just to name a few. You got the Civil Rights Act in 1964 that was put in to effect. You get the, um, you get the, and that was equal employment opportunities that happened in 1964. You get the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that happened. You get um, the, the Fair Housing Act that happened in 1965, or somewhere around in there, 1964, I believe. In 1965, you get the Voting Rights Act. Um, you get the Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act. All of these are policy changes that is changing how um, uh, the, the standing of black people, black men and women in our country, how, you know, the policies that they would be judged by inside of this country. They, were, they received through these equal opportunity inside of our country. The civil rights, right? Literally, Martin Luther King said, I got a dream. 
and he put clear parameters around or clear uh, metrics around. I want to see the country this when black men and women can hold hands together. Right. And and, uh, you know, black men and women can do X, Y and Z. He he would give these specific things that are metrics now that we can say, like, okay, yeah, these things happened. Great. These things happen. And he put a metric to him. He said, this is what we want to see. And then the government came along and changed the policies that would not discriminate against discriminate against black men and women anymore. Now, the government, there's the law of the land that now the rest, all the states, the municipalities, the counties, all of them have to come in alignment with the federal policy. And that happened. Jim Crow's laws have been abolished. And thank God for that. Thank God that they've been abolished. And here we are today. And but, but, but where's the problem at? The problem still is it may be dealt with on a federal level in the laws of the federal government. But now in the institutions of our country, the systematic change has to happen for the institutions that condone the behavior of racism within them, whether that is public and or private. Right. I'm under the belief that, man, there has been systematic change. You know, there's a a gentleman um, by the name of Orlando Patterson. He's a sociologist at Harvard. He sits on the board of Harvard of the sociology department. But he would say this in 1991. He's a Jamaican born um, black American in our society. And he would say this, that the sociological truths are that America, while still flawed in its race relations and its stubborn refusal to institute a rational universal welfare system, is now the least racist white majority society in the world, has a better record of legal protection of minorities than any other society, white or black, offers more opportunities to a greater number of black persons than any other society, including all those of Africa, and has gone through a dramatic change in its attitude towards uh, misogynation over the past 25 years. Misogynation um, is interracial marrying. And uh, he would make this statement that we're the least racist society upon the face of the earth. So, yes, we have our race relations. And, man, we need to work on that. And coming back to my statement here, freedom has to be fought for. What we are seeing here today is the highlighting of a white officer killing a black man. I've talked to multiple police officers in our church, all of which have said the man's actions were just completely out of alignment with their training. He should never have done things that way. He was completely mixed up in emotion where he was not thinking properly and his partner did not have his back to bring him into alignment on proper training and proper technique on what should have been done. Right. All of these individuals, there should be justice. We've highlighted this and we should bring justice to George Floyd. We should be we should demand justice for George Floyd. Here's the problem, though. And I'm a man of solution. Martin Luther King put a metrics of we're going to protest to see this change. You and I today must protest 
but we must have a metrics in place to see the change. If we are just arbitrarily protesting without a metrics of what we want to see changed, then all we're going to be let with, left with is anger and frustration because we're arbitrarily protesting towards racism that is only going to be changed at an institutional level throughout our country. So what I would say for us to do is, and this is the, the freedom fight of racism that will be ongoing for a long period of time, I would say you and I need to put a metrics to the change we want to see. Today we saw an injustice for George Floyd through a police department in Minneapolis. We've seen that, right? We've seen this, this police department act out of alignment. So you and I today, with our protest, we want to see systematic change in the Minneapolis Police Department on how they are going to bring justice to the death of George Floyd through the inappropriate actions of a police officer. We must demand that. Anywhere inside of our society, this is the beauty of what we have to do. If there is a systematic um, racism uh, or systematic racism operating and condoned in the institutions, wherever it may be inside of our society, you and I must focus our attention towards that specific institution, whether that's an international or whether that's an international corporation, a, a national corporation, whether that's a, a, a local business, whether that's a um, um, whether it's a local police department, whether that's a city, you know, uh, a city that has discrimination um, that's going on inside of their city, whether that's inside of a uh, wherever we may see it, whether it's inside of our workplace, inside of our home or a home, whatever it may be, whether it's a uh, whatever, whatever institution it may be. We should highlight that institution that is condoning behaviors of the uh, of systematic racism. And then we should speak to the exact change we want to see and go case by case basis. If it is just arbitrary and there's no metrics to, to determine success of change, then there's the possibility that the movement of Black Lives Matter could be hijacked by individuals that have ulterior motives. You and I want to stand up for the injustice of black people. But you and I cannot stand for the injustice of rioting and looting, stealing, destruction of personal property or private property, destroying people's lives. That is not of the, of the mandate of love that we were said. That's not even the mandate in which Martin Luther King, when he was fighting for freedom, of which we have freedom here today. We're dealing with justice here today underneath the law of the land. It's not a federal issue. It's a local, regional or national corporation issue that now we got to speak towards these things. Even Martin Luther King says we can't allow this rage to drive us towards hostility, evil actions. So today, wherever we are at, and what, I mean, just if we want success, and again, this is a conversation that is ongoing and we're going to talk about this for a long time. Freedom has to be protected. Anytime we see injustice around this freedom for minorities, 
We should stand up against the institutions that are condoning the behavior and demand justice. Right? That's what we have to do. And today, uh, the last thing I would want to see happen is for black men and women in our country, their, their issue, their, I mean, our, our country's issue, but man, them, all the pain that they've walked through, the 401 years where they have been discriminated against and used, the last thing I would want is a foreign entity a foreign individual to come along and hijack this movement of Black Lives Matter. If it's ambiguous, then somebody can come along because there's no end game. There's no like we want to see justice in X, Y and Z. It's we just want a racial justice to be found across the board with no metrics to it. Then somebody can come along and start using the movement for their own gain. And that's what we should all stand up against and say, rioters, looters, anybody, any group of people that is coming together to bring destruction to private property, that is an injustice and we should stand up for it too. What we should do is, what is the change we wanna see and wherever we see it, Stand together as Americans for our black brothers and sisters and say they they should receive justice. We demand that they receive justice. If it's equal opportunity, equal pay, whatever it may be, equal housing rights, whatever it may be. If there's an injustice in the institutions, not the federal government, the federal government already has the policies in place for us but the institutions on a local and regional level or a national corporation level, you and I should stand up and speak to it and demand change that we can see a metrics to say, see, they changed. And black people receive justice in that corporation, inside of that city, inside of that police department, justice was found for them. The only way, man, I tell you, for our country, if we, we gotta unite together around the conversation of racism, and not allow anybody to hijack this movement for, the, for black men and women. We gotta make sure they don't do it. That's for speaking up for the injustice against black people and speaking against the injustice of rioters and looters that are tearing down businesses. You and I must stand for those things as righteous individuals to our conviction, right? Our, our, you know, our wrath is of the Lord's. He will take revenge for that. Right. Don't let evil consume us, take over and consume evil by doing good. It's what we should stand for. You know, this is a transformation. And the only way that we're going to see this truly happen inside of our country, the systematic change of racism in every institution in this country is going to be through the transformation of a human heart to come to know Jesus Christ, that the evil that this all started with man, slavery's been existent long before 1619, whenever it showed up, showed up on the shores of the Americas. We can look inside of the new Genesis and we can see Jewish people in slavery down in Egypt. Slavery is not a new concept and a new idea. But if we want to see this systematic change, you and I uh, must pray for our country that there would be a transformation on the inside of the hearts and lives of the people of this country by meeting Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about this next week. And I was going to talk about this week, the transformation of 
uh, Saul to Paul. He went from hatred and anger, killing Christians to meeting Jesus and having a transformation and becoming an advocate for the message of the gospel. This is the transformation we need on the hearts and lives of people inside of our country that are condoning racist behavior. They need to meet Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He has been the answer. He will always be the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to heaven. No one can get to the Father except through him. He has the power to transform the human heart. And what I pray today through this conversation as a people, that man, we will not let evil devour us, but man, we will devour evil by doing good. And we pray We stand in peaceful protest. We stand to back those that are uh, keeping law and order inside of our cities and keeping us protected. We stand with and we stand for, right? We stand with our black brothers and sisters and we stand for all of our police officers that are keeping law and order and protecting private citizens. We, We stand with and we stand for. And we pray, we know there's power in our prayer that when we hit our knees, we can release the supernatural into existence to bring systematic change throughout our country. And every individual that maybe as we are speaking right now has racist tendencies on the inside of their heart, that is condoning behaviors inside of their institution, they have the power to change it. We pray for a transformation on the inside of their life, just like Saul did where he went from Saul to Paul, a transformation of meeting Christ and hatred and anger and evil that existed on the inside of him, completely being washed away and being transformed into a heart of love where his actions moved in love towards people, even when he was being harmed. Come on, let's join together as we pray and we sing in unity together here today to uh, united Man, when there's unity, there is peace, as I said last week. United, we will stand. But if we are divided, we will fall. And if we are divided, there will be dysfunction. Let's join together, all people in unity, as we pray for systematic change, as we stand together and for each other. Come on, let's sing. It was so good to have you tuned in right here today for this message. I pray that you are encouraged and you are strengthened inside of your faith. Man, you are confident here today in in accomplishing what God has laid out for you to do as a believer, whatever sphere of influence that you are in. I pray that you are ready to get it done. Now, our kids experience is coming up next. Make sure you jump online, get your kids around. They'll be encouraged to get ready for their week. Outside of that, keep on making a difference in the world in which God has destined you to lead in. Have a great week.